Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. John Wesley believes strongly in laity, those who are not actually ordained to be a part of ministry and committed to the Christian walk. And so we celebrate a Laity Sunday where Laity takes a role and does that. So this morning we're going to welcome Wayne Pickering, who is head of our SPRC chair, a member of the choir, and also just a wonderful uh, part of this church and his commitment. This past year he has spent some time uh, going to other GMC churches that needed assistance during that time and preaching uh, for those churches as well. So let's welcome him this morning and um, hear what the Lord has to say through him. Thank you, Stacy, for those very kind and generous words. Um, Thank uh, Sheila and Elena uh, uh, for sharing your amazing gifts with us. It's a pleasure to make music with you every day, or every week, and great to have you back with us, Sheila. Uh, stand as you're able, please, and join me in today's scripture. And as we read these passages, uh, compare Jesus' frame of mind, his mindset, in each of these uh, pieces of scripture. First, from Luke. Uh, chapter 9 verse 51 when the days drew, drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem uh, the King James version actually adds he steadfastly set his face now remember that because I'm going to focus on that verbiage of set his face and the, the imagery the, the uh, determination to me that that uh, that that implies then secondly uh, from Mark chapter 14 verses 32 through 36 they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated and he said to them I am deeply grieved even to death remain here and keep awake and going a little farther he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please be seated, and as you are, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now today, uh, I taking up the next uh, segment of our sermon series, uh, uh, Rooted and Grounded. Previously, uh, we've had sermons on fellowship and stewardship. Today, I wanna talk about uh, discipleship and the role, as you can tell from the music so far today, kind of the theme of the day is faith. 
and the role that I believe a strong faith plays, that is actually the foundation of our discipleship. A uh, little bit about me, I don't want to spend my time up here just talking about me, but a little bit of my background, it kind of sets up some things that I want to talk about later in my message today. Uh, in the eighth grade, I, uh, I, I had everything figured out. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I either wanted to uh, go into the ministry, or I wanted to do something with music, or I wanted to play for the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, Matt allows me to uh, scratch the itch to participate in music every week. Uh, I've been, as Stacy said, I've been doing a little preaching throughout East Texas for some of the smaller church, and a uh, chance to be here today. Strangely, all of a sudden, I'm mindful of the, uh, Luke 4, uh, 24. No man is a prophet in his own hometown. So uh, hopefully that won't be true today. But the, uh, so uh, those two things off my eighth grade bucket list, I've, I've been able to fulfill. So if anybody knows Cardinal's ownership, see me after the sermon. Uh, I grew up in a little town in Southern Illinois, which you might guess was solid Cardinal's country. Uh, my mother, Paul and Letha Pickering, we neither one finished high school. We were, uh, to use the phrase dirt poor is not really uh, an exaggeration. Uh, I'm the oldest son. Both of my parents are gone now, but uh, I look back and realized, you know, the older I get, I realize the smarter they become. Uh, uh, my mom, she, I don't, couldn't even begin to, I could spend the whole time talking about all the sacrifices she made for us and all the great gifts she gave me that let me be what I became to be as a man. But I'll, in front of all these witnesses, I want to say the greatest gift my mom gave me was taking me to church. I guess I was probably six or seven years old. We went to the first Christian church in Lawrenceville, Illinois, a little farm town in southern Illinois. Uh, and she got... I'm not sure why, I guess it's God, God works in mysterious ways. Church immediately just kind of took with me. And my younger brothers would on Saturday night start pitching a fit and crying and not wanting to go. So she kind of gave up after a while and trying to take them to church. But for some reason it just stuck with me. I used to, <laughs> Mom, wherever she is, she'll laugh at this story. For years after they sold, I was graduated college, had gone on to my first job, moved out of state. They decided to sell the house and move into an apartment, and they got rid of a bunch of stuff. She says she gave me the opportunity to come and get anything I want, but that didn't happen. One of the things she got rid of were all of my baseball cards. I had Johnny Bench rookie card, Pete Rose rookie card, Tom Seaver, you know, duplicates of Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, and it just <laughs> broke my heart. And so I was, you know, grumbled for years and I went, Mom, why'd you get rid of my baseball cards? Well, you might have said a minute ago about, you know, the older my mom got, the smarter she got, and the older I got, the smarter she got, was uh, we're going through her apartment when she was ready to uh, uh, move into an assisted living facility, and she couldn't take everything with her. We were going through things, going through a cabinet, and I came across this. This was my third grade Bible. And it was signed by Mrs. Fern Leach, one of my third grade, or third grade Sunday school teachers, delightful woman. She's the kind of woman you could build a church around, Mrs. Hugh Mitchell. It's also signed by the pastor at that time, a fellow by the name of Harold Tackett. Now, I, 
mentioned uh, the, my Bible and, and Mr. Tackett for a, a good reason. It was kind of my first step to really jumping in with both feet on this this faith thing. Uh, I told you, my, you know, my mom kind of got frustrated and it was too much trouble to try to take my little brothers to church, even though I kept going to church. So Mr. Tackett, as pastors and, you know, churches are prone to do, made an appointment to come by and, and talk to my mom about things, see if he could be in prayer for us and probably wondering why she hadn't been in church in quite a while. Well, it happened, it was a Saturday afternoon in the spring of, I believe it was 1966. And that morning happened to be Little League tryouts. And so you know, I tried, I was old, I was 10 years old, I was uh, old enough to try out for a Little League team. And so he came and talked to us, told him, yeah, I tryouts this morning, I'm hoping I make a team, I'm waiting for a call, hopefully I'll make a, because this was in the day when not everybody got a trophy. Not, not everybody got picked on a team. There were winners and losers, and so there was no guarantee you were going to get picked for a team. So Mr. Tackett uh, talked to my mom, prayed for us, and as he, in his prayer he included, as the Lord will pray that uh, Wayne makes a baseball team, and uh, that was pretty cool. Well, while he's just finishing his coffee and chit-chatting with my mom, the phone rang. There's a gentleman by the name of Mike Smith who was soon to become my first baseball coach. He called me <laughs> to tell me, congratulations, Wayne, you're a moose. Because the, the local lodges in my hometown sponsored Little League teams, the Moose, the Elks, the Eagles, American Legion. So I was a moose. And I told him, you know, hung up the phone and said, I made it, I got picked. And Mr. Taggart, very happy, and I started to think, wow, that prayer stuff really works. He says, uh, I, there's, there must be something to this. That prayer stuff really works. So uh, that was kind of, you know, he, he got me on the hooked on the line. The gentleman named Clyde McKee really set the hook. Uh, Clyde's, Mr. Reverend McKee succeeded Mr. Tackett uh, three or four years later when I was in junior high school. And the thing that I'm most grateful for Reverend McKee for is he really made me see this Jesus fellow not as some mystical power, something to be feared, something to be afraid of. But he made me see Jesus as a friend, somebody that I wanted to be in relationship with. And uh, the nearest, best way I can describe it, it, it hit me the first time I watched uh, The Chosen. I don't know how many of you have seen The Chosen, but Reverend McKee made Jesus seem like the way Jesus is portrayed in, in The Chosen. The, he made me understand Jesus' humanity, his divinity, but somebody that uh, I could be friends with, that I could be in relationship with. And I'm forever grateful that uh, Reverend McKee uh, helped me do that. That's kind of been one of the turning points in my faith journey. You know, as I look back at my faith journey, uh, sometimes it's been a, you know, a crooked path. I think of my granddaughter, Clara. If you ever walked with a, six, a seven or eight year old girl, they don't walk in a straight line. It's like, oh, here's some flowers to look at. Oh, look at this crack in the sidewalk. Oh, I'm gonna go look in that store window. We were in Galveston two or three years ago, walking from a toy store on the, on the Strand, on the same side of the street that King's Confectionery is located, which is the, you can watch them make the candy. They have ice cream and candy. And I mar marveled as we walked there, I realized, you know, it, <laughs> she probably takes twice as many steps to walk the same distance that the rest of us walked. But that's kind of, I look at my path, my spiritual path as I've walked through life. Uh, 
Never drift too far from the path. As I think, and it's my faith, I think, that's always brought me back. Uh, big, big turning point in my life was in the summer of 1998. In the mid-90s, whatever could go wrong in my life had gone wrong. Personal relationships, professional, you know, my career, uh, financial, uh, I was, you know, sad to say, I admit to you, kind of spiritually devoid for three or four years. I, I hadn't been to church. I don't think he even made it on Easter or uh, Christmas for two or three years. And I'd hit rock bottom. And about this time, the Ken Burns series on the Civil War was out. And I remember uh, Abraham Lincoln, and they were quoting Lincoln, they said, and although Lincoln didn't identify with the particular denomination, he was, you know, I think more than people gave him credit for, a religious man. And he confessed that, that at times all of the horrible news from the war drove him to his knees. And I'd watched that episode and I thought, I'm kind of there. I've just, I'm driven to my knees. And I prayed, you know, what do I do, God? And I, you know, as God is so prone to do, when you bother to talk to him, I got that little tap on the shoulder. Wayne, why don't you try going back to church? So I went to two or three churches until one hot August day in August of 1998, I walked into the sanctuary at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. And Jim Moore at the time was the preacher, and I, I owe so much to Dr. Moore. He was one of the kindest men I've ever met. And as I sat down, uh, I actually kind of sat in front of the pulpit about, I don't know, a third of the way back, and just like, Lord, I'm, I'm desperate, give me a sign. And I'll give you one guess what Dr. Moore's sermon was about that day. Anybody want to take a guess? It's the prodigal son. And I remember sitting there thinking, Lord, could you be any less subtle? And so, you know, I realized, and, and I hope you all have had this in your life, because I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, when I read about John Wesley's uh, moment at Aldersgate and his heart being strangely warmed, I had that moment that day at St. Luke's that I realized, it is all, you know, the Holy Spirit washed it all away from me, and I had found my way home. And so that's you know, kind of my faith journey and uh, you know, how I've gotten to where I am today. So as we consider the issue of discipleship and being rooted and grounded, uh, as, as I said at the outset, I think the strength of our faith is the very foundation of our, uh, uh, of our faith. So as I speak to you today, I want you to think about how strong do you think your personal faith is? The great Bobby Bowden was a, a longtime uh, uh, football coach at Florida State University, incredible coach, uh, incredible uh, Christian, uh, very devout, very active with the fellowship of Christian athletes. He was addressing uh, a group of the, of the fellowship of Christian athletes one time, and he told the story about how he was in church, I guess they were running late one day, so he ended up having to sit up close. And you know what danger that is when you're sitting up close. You're always going to get picked on by the preacher. So coach, and he, they had six children. So he's sitting along the, toward the front with he and his wife and his six children. And so the, the pastor's talking about faith. He says, Coach Bowden, do you have faith? Well, well uh, yeah, preacher, I've got faith. Is your faith strong, coach? Well, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My faith very strong. Yes, sir. He says, well, let me ask you this, coach. If one of your children was in mortal danger, say in a building, you know, top floor of a burning building, and the only way you could save that child is you've got to crawl across a rope you know, to that building and get that child and bring that child back. Would you go rescue that child? Is your faith that strong? 
Coach looked down the road at the ch children. <laughs> looks back at the preacher and says, Preacher, which child are we talking about? <laughs> so, so the point of all that, that's kind of a humorous way to illustrate that sometimes our faith you know, kind of comes and goes. We think our faith is strong, but then something in our life happens to, to test our faith, to challenge us. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, you know, how, how strong is my faith? Somebody that uh, Jim Moore used to quote a lot was Dr. D.L. Dykes. He was a, a legend, long-term senior pastor at the First United Methodist Church in Shreveport. And one of Dr. Moore's sermons, he met, read this quote from Dr. Dykes that has always stuck with me. It says that there are few things in life that really matter, but the things that do matter, matter immensely. Let me read that again. There are few things in life that really matter, but the things that do matter, matter immensely. So I would submit that there's nothing more important in your life than your faith, that's your relationship with God. So ask yourself, where does uh, God rank in your life? Something that uh, I've considered for a number of years. You may remember the 1971 movie, Brian's Song. It was about the story of uh, Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo and their friendship as Gail Sayers came back from a horrific knee injury and uh, Piccolo replaced him for a while, then Piccolo came down with terminal cancer. And it's their story of their friendship and their journey through that. And uh, the, the movie was based on a book that was co-authored by Gail Sayers called I Am Third. And that came from a plaque on one of the uh, desks of the, one of the assistant coaches of the Chicago Bears that said, uh, my God is first, my friends and family are second, and I am third. So. I can confess to you that I have not always, you know, I've, I've taken the number one spot on that list from time to time, and that's you know, kind of one of the things that I, I deal with. Uh, I have to constantly remind myself, I'm not first, I'm third. Uh, Jesus himself stressed the uh, importance of a strong faith. How many times in his ministry, in his, the, his miracles, did he say to someone who he had healed or had uh, addressed, your faith has made you well. He would say that it was his power. It was your faith has made you well. Uh, we see the strength of Jesus' faith illustrated in uh, the verse we read from uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 51 of, uh, of Luke, where it says, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Uh, to set the stage a little bit, this, this came to, shortly after uh, the transfiguration, he had told, for the second or third time, told his disciples that he must be delivered in the hands of man and must die. And, and uh, so he, knowing what was going to happen, he set his face to make that final trip to Jerusalem. You know, there's a lot of imageries of, you know, setting your face. I think of, you know, uh, a soldier, you know, one of those landing craft at Normandy or at Guadalcanal you know, the steel, the resolve they must have had to, to go through with what they were being asked to do. Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on the bus. I'm sure you can think of many others. Winston Churchill comes to mind, the, you know, the famous speech, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. And uh, so Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He uh, told him he must die. He rebuked the disciples when they said, no, no, please say it's not so. Remember what he said to Peter. I think it comes from Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Satan, get thee behind me. 
So Jesus knew what awaited him, and he had set his face to go meet his fate. And from birth, it's, it, it's clear that we know that Jesus knew he was sent to die. Think of the Christmas story, the, the gift of the Magi. What were the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus? Gold, a, a gift for a king, frankincense, or a type of incense, a gift for a priest or a rabbi, and myrrh. Myrrh was a burial spice. It was a gift for someone sent to die. Uh, so, in setting his face toward Jerusalem, uh, Jesus demonstrated the strength of his faith. Many other, uh, in the Bible, examples of people with great faith, I think of uh, the disciples uh, after the resurrection, all but John were martyred. They died violent deaths rather than renounce Jesus or renounce their faith and as he, he is the Son of God. Uh, you know, Paul uh, consistently was persecuted as he carried out his ministry after his conversion, was uh, imprisoned and beheaded in Rome rather than uh, renounce his faith. Uh, think of some of the modern martyrs who died for their faith, what they believed. You know, like of people like Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bishop Oscar Romero, who was murdered in his pulpit, uh, speaking out against injustice and uh, horrible uh, acts being carried out by those trying to uh, overthrow the government by some in the government. Uh, there's one more that's worth mentioning. Does anybody remember the name Rachel Scott? Rachel Scott was a 17-year-old girl at Columbine High School that when those two uh, those two boys encountered her, uh, asked her if she believed in God. And some, as I've read some more about her, that believe she uh, uh, had been targeted by them before they had picked on her because uh, of her Christian faith. And they approached her and uh, they, you know, gunned her down in cold blood rather than when she admitted she believed in God. So I wonder, I ask, many times I've asked myself, would I have that kind of faith? You know, and ask yourselves, would you have that kind of faith? So, you know, from time to time, people have talked to me about, uh, well, I don't really know if I get all this God stuff. I don't know if I agree with all this. That uh, uh, they have fears, they have questions, they have doubts. Uh, I want to quote Dr. Tom Pace, a good friend of mine and the uh, pastor who succeeded Jim Moore at St. Luke's. Uh, Tom has written this about doubt. Doubt is to faith what food is to hunger. It feeds it. So our doubts send us to the scriptures. Our doubts send us to our knees in prayer. Our doubts send us to our small groups. They send us to worship. So uh, many things I've heard as to why people lack faith. Uh, you all have heard many. I'm sure you can think of others, but I'll touch on a couple. How can you believe in God when he allows blank, fill in the blank, war, children with cancer, all, all the hor anything you can think of. One of the things that uh, I've told people, I'm not a, a uh, uh, expert theologian by any means, but my thought on it is, I don't think God allows anything. What I think is the horrible acts that are committed in this world are committed by people who have rejected God. And it's, God gave us free will, and sadly, way too many people in our world have rejected God and have chosen the path of darkness. Uh, something I read just this week too I don't know where the quote's from but I, it is, these are not my original words but it's this being a believer and a follower of Christ does not make us immune from brokenness pain or hardship 
It just means we have an anchor in the storm. Uh, others I've heard you know, people will say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. And I don't always say this, but my thought is, well, maybe he did, but just not yet or not in the way you wanted. I, I disagree with Garth Brooks about you know, unanswered prayers. I don't think prayers go unanswered. Uh, this, I heard this first from our old friend Andy King, who was a member of this church for many years and sang in a choir. In our small group, uh, Andy brought out, he says, we're commanded to pray without ceasing. So why would God ignore you? Says, and he's quoting, uh, I believe this comes from a, an author named Lori Lyons. He says, God doesn't say no. The three answers to prayer are this. Yes, obvious, not yet, or I have something else in mind for you. And that's what's so hard for us, isn't it? We, we, sometimes we treat God as this celestial Santa Claus that, well, I'm going to go with God in prayer. You know, it's, I got spoiled early on in my very first prayer. Let me make a little league team. And, you know, so sometimes we get, we get spoiled treating God like this, you know, celestial Santa Claus. Uh, if you have doubts about your faith, congratulations, you're in good company. Look at all the heroes of the Bible who had doubts or initially had feats of clay. Remember about six months ago, Ken Meadema sat right over there and presented his, uh, uh, his, it's really the first piece and the musical piece that made his reputation on Moses. It says, what? Who me? Oh no, God, send somebody else. I'm not worthy. What if they don't believe me? Oh, I'm not well-spoken. Send somebody else. And God just like, no, you're going, you're going. Uh, and Moses then, of course, became the, the greatest leader in, in the Bible. Simon Peter is denial of Jesus. And he became the, the rock upon which Jesus founded his church. The disciples cowered in fear immediately after the resurrection. They hid, thinking that it was all over and it had come to an end. Uh, even Jesus himself, if we're, I'm going to go back and look at that passage from Mark, even Jesus himself would have preferred a different fate at one point. Uh, again, setting the stage, this is Monday, Thursday, the night he was to be betrayed. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter. He's with Peter, John, and James, uh, awaiting Judas' arrival with the Roman soldiers. To the disciples, he said, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, saying, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. So I just kind of ask you this rhetorical question. Does that sound like somebody uh, who is anxious to be beaten, scourged, and crucified? Yeah. And I think that's another case where Jesus' humanity is illustrated. And it's something that we can uh, take heart from. That even Jesus, you know, you know had some feet of clay at first. You know, but had the resolve, the strength of faith to uh, uh, go through with it. So in uh, closing, I want to just ask you to consider, again, how strong is your faith? Consider what is the cup that you're asked to take up? I would suggest for anyone here or anyone watching on the live stream that if you've not accepted Christ, that's your first step. Accept Christ. Let Christ transform your heart. I remember Jerry, Jeremy Bass's final sermon here in the sanctuary. That was his message about... You can come into church, you can say the words, you can say that you accept Christ, but until you let Jesus actually transform your heart, 
you're not there yet. So give that some thought if that's where you are on your faith journey. If you have accepted Christ, you know, maybe consider becoming more serious about your faith, regular Bible study. Uh, if you believe your faith is strong, then I would suggest that maybe your cup is to simply remain steadfast. And that's not easy in this world. All the places Christians are under attack and ridiculed and censored and criticized. Uh, maybe your cup is something else, something else you're struggling with. But I want to close with uh, a true story that uh, some of you might recognize this story. Uh, this is about a, a fellow who was healthy and active all his life. Wasn't a great athlete, but played all the sports. And once he aged out of team sports, took up uh, running and tennis and played golf, biking, you name it. Uh, but he developed a, a bad case, uh, would have been a fatal case of uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and both lungs. He almost died in December of 2019. The prognosis was that he needed a double lung transplant. This story had a happy ending. He received a double lung transplant on February the 5th of 2020. This guy is now pretty much living a normal life. He's golfing, biking, going to the gym, singing in his church choir, uh, traveling, kind of gone back to living a normal life. This man's faith was, was there for him. It was carrying him, sustaining him when he was facing a choice between a risky surgery or almost certain death. For those of you that are new to Kingwood Methodist Church or otherwise don't know this story, that man is standing before you today preaching. This is my story. Sometimes it's hard for me to talk about it because uh, I'll never forget. You know, so kind of give you some, if you all can remember back this far, I had a conversation with Bert on a Saturday night over at Kingwood Hospital before they sent me to the medical center, but we knew a lung transplant was what was in my future. And this is the, the last time the Texans won a playoff game. Uh, Bert came in, they were playing the Bills, that first round game, went into overtime. Bert sat there on a Saturday night, a work night for Bert, so I was impressed that he stayed that long uh, through the fourth quarter of the overtime of that game. And we had a really interesting conversation. He said, where is your head in all this? Didn't that just sound like Bert? You know, where is your head in all this? I said, well, um, I guess, and I think this is my, it was my faith at work why I was so matter of fact about this and not very, particularly emotional. I said, well, Bert, if I don't have the transplant, I'm going to die. A month from now, I'll probably be dead. Now, does a surgery have risk? Sure it does. But by taking that risk, I have a chance to live, resume a normal life and I told him, you know, if it doesn't go well, then Matt, I'll choir singer to the end. I told him, if it doesn't go well, then it is well with my soul. And uh, so many God moments in my story. Uh, probably one of the ones I, I want to touch on is uh, really two. Turns out, just that purely by chance, I was referred to the preeminent pulmonologist in Houston. He actually had been George Bush's doctor. And what are the odds that, uh, you know, that my family doctor referred me to him? And then uh, this is the part that, I mean, this is, this is almost spooky. On February, remember the transplant was on February 5th. On February 4th, Berth was leading a trip through the Holy Land. And at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, he and Sean placed a prayer note in the Western Wall, praying that I would get a set of lungs. 
Later that afternoon, doctor comes in and says, hey, good news. You know, we're looking at a set of lungs. Actually, we're looking at two sets of lungs. As soon as the surgeon sees them, we'll make a decision whether we're going to go. So after only being on the waiting list for 10 days, some people are on there for months, that uh, I was off to the, uh, uh, for the transplant. So in closing, uh, just let me say that I can truthfully tell you that, yea, though I literally walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I truly feared no evil because I knew that God was with me uh, as he was with Jesus when Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and as God will be with you today, tomorrow, and forever. So I pray for you that your faith, your personal relationship with Christ is strong enough to sustain you through the storms of life because it's not if you encounter them, it's just a matter of when you encounter them. So I pray that your faith will be there for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.